Welcome to another installment of Money You Should Ask. I'm your host, Bob Wheeler, and in this episode, we're going to explore, question, examine, converse, dig deep, expose, laugh, and cry about the money beliefs, money blocks, and life challenges of our next guest. Turn up the volume, listen, learn, and laugh. I'm excited today because I have with us entertainment lawyer David Albert Pierce, um, who is a transactional entertainment lawyer. That's a big word for me, transactional. Um, And he went to Cornell Law School. Um, He also teaches. And let's see, what do I want to tell you? There's some really cool stuff. Um, He brings dogs to his office. Um, so that's really cool. And he no, 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 not just random dogs. Not just random not dogs, dogs. Just dogs. your dogs. <laughs> and he um, he represents the world famous Comedy Store and a lot of other amazing folks. He worked. He represented the writers of the Black Klansman and a whole bunch of other things. But I'll probably say their names wrong, so I'm not going to go into that. Um, I just want to get into a great conversation, David. It's great to have you. Thank you, Thank Bob. You. So I, you grew up in Niagara Falls. Niagara Falls. Niagara Falls. So that sounds a little. Exciting to me just because um, it seems like that's probably a small city, but I have no idea because I've actually never been to Niagara Falls. It is incredibly small. Um, it's a you know suburb of Buffalo. Okay. Uh, and uh, it's a tourist town and my family was in the tourist business and uh, it, was, it was a nice place to grow up. So the tourist thing, was that where – like I know when I went to Costa Rica and I went under a waterfall and I put on rain jackets and I – did like a zip line and stuff like is that the kind of stuff like people walking out of the falls or was it like yeah my my uh my father had always been in the tourist business he had a, a hotel and and a wax museum in like the uh, the 50s and 60s that um where he, he actually had disney animators uh, okay. come and uh create there there was like a- animatronics in this uh in this museum where you would uh, simulate going over the falls in a barrel. Okay. And you kind of, it was kind of like the haunted house where you, in, in Disney world, where you go in one side of the barrel and it shakes you all up. Oh, okay. And then the other, and then you, the door opens the other way and you go into the, the museum and it takes you through, you're, you've, you've gone back in time by going over the falls and you're now at the ice age and you see the creation of the falls and the, uh, the native American Indians and, and then you're know, all through the, the way until you, you finally exit with the, uh, with like a hall of daredevils type thing. And, oh, cool. um, I was really, I, I think he, he was done with that by the time I was like three. Oh, okay. And then, um, and then he, uh, became the, uh, the franchise, the, the licensee of, uh, the cave of the winds trip. So he was the okay. owner and operator of the cave of the winds scenic tours, Inc., which, uh, um, had a concession with the state, you know, cause it was state property. Okay. Uh, but people would be put on raincoats and, and, uh, cloth moccasins at the time. Okay. And you take an elevator to the base of the falls and then you walk in these wooden walkways and you come, uh, ultimately about 20 feet in front of and below the roaring cataract. And did you get to work there? I worked there incessantly from the, from the time, probably I think. When I was seven years old, I was the official dog sitter. Okay. Uh, so if anyone came and and had uh, had dogs, the dogs weren't allowed in the trip. They'd say that young man right there will watch your dog, and okay. uh, then I would uh, they they they'd feed me tips when they came back for for oh, taking sweet. good care of their dogs. That's sweet. And uh, I was the the um, 
the solicitor, the guy that the that the kind of like the barker when the, that says off, you know, when come the here, little, come here, little train comes okay. by, off this way for the world famous Cave of the Winds, Niagara Scenic <laughs> Wonder Trip. Don't miss the thrill of a lifetime, Cave uh, of the Winds. <laughs> that's fun. Now, did you and like working there? I, I it was just it was so great. I yeah. mean, I, I would want to be there every day. It was yeah. the, the, the state. I, I I would ride the little viewmobile. You know, when I was young, like I said, I wasn't. I, I I helped. My sister was the one that was passing out brochures, and I'd be out there helping her until I got tired, and then I'd ride the train and hang out with the the the, the, the little viewmobile that would go around. Oh, fun! And, um, and then as I got older, I ultimately when I was when I was little, like I said, I would I would be the, the I would be with the tour guides. Wow! And they'd let me do the tour, and I and I, I had a really deep, loud voice when I was seven years old, so I'd be given the entire you know, spiel on the tour and there'd be the, and the, uh, and the tour guides, you know, they're 19, 20 year old kids are like, this is great. I don't have to like, do anything. Let this kid, let, let, let this kid strain his voice. That's funny. Now let me ask you this statue of limitations, the statue of limitations has passed, but did you at seven and eight years old claim all your cash tips? I <laughs> did pro- you file a tax return? <laughs> I, I, I probably did not. Uh, and as, as I got older and then once I got to like real working age, like about 14 yeah. or so, 13, 14, my, my dad, I, I was, uh, I did every job in the place and he, and he started us with a, a strong work ethic. It was, cool. uh, washing the moccasins and hanging the raincoats. And those were the, that was the worst job in the place. Right. And, uh, so you, you started there and then you, then you went to the elevator operator, which was a, was a pretty cool job. And then ultimately the, you know, by the time I was like 16, 17, I was, I was, you know, a tour guide, but, um, you know, we had, and, and then I was also in the ticket booth and would, you know, would sell the tickets. So it was a, and everyone in my family, you know, had, had a role and, uh, my dad had us on, had me on the payroll. Cool. Um, but I never saw that, you know, that the checks all went straight into, uh, you know, a college fund. Uh, cool. Would you say you talked about your dad having a, a, a strong work ethic? Is there anything you remember like as a kid that your mom or dad, had as a mantra like was there something that you repeatedly heard as a kid when it came to money like you know save your money or any of that kind of stuff oh, my, my dad's mantra was remember your peers before any kid would leave at night like when we, you're 15 16 you're going out remember your peers and you know not that there was anything special about the name the name was changed when we came over on the boat you know right but, but every kid knew what that meant it meant you're going out with my name. Don't sully my reputation. Mm-hmm. Um, my, you know, my father was a big believer, believer in your word is your bond. Right. And um, everyone he did business with, uh, you know, he personally knew. And if he didn't know him, he knew their cousin or something. It was that type of community. And yeah. uh, he instilled that in all of his kids that, you know, uh, you know, be fair, be honest have a good work ethic. And uh, that was all summed up in remember your peers. Yeah, that's cool. And did you um, know that you wanted to be an attorney um, early on, like as a kid? Um, did you have that vision? Like when did you yeah. decide? And I know you went to Cornell, but like when did all that happen? You know, um, so my father had the tourist attraction mm-hmm. in the summer and okay. it's, you know, it, it's only open from, uh, Memorial Day to Labor Day, essentially, oh, okay. and then okay. and then and then they they tear down the wooden walkways because the ice would crush them, and then they they rebuild them 
uh, in, in each oh. spring, and that would be cool. You'd run, you know, you get to crawl around the rocks and do things that right. you know most people didn't get wouldn't get to do at Niagara. Um, but his so it, that would occupy his time. But he was also part of a uh, condominium development association, okay. and he was kind of the, uh, the the property manager of that, like that that uh, oversaw the first condominium that was built in Niagara Falls that was a 15-story building that overlooked the falls and it was the one luxury building that they had and all of his partners were lawyers ah and he took great pride in the fact that people said he wrote the best you know a, a contract as good as any lawyer um so I don't I don't feel like they ever pushed me into law but I know they were thrilled like my father thought there was no 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 higher occupation and when I was seven, I told you that the Cave of the Winds was a concession. Right. With it, we say, my dad lost the the concession one year. He was outbid, and he was outbid by like half a point. When what I mean wow. by bid is like whatever, whatever for every dollar the ticket comes in, you give the state a certain percentage. And the guy that beat him beat him out by like half a point, which wow. was a little sketchy. You're wondering, you know, did somebody to? And for qualifications. The guy wrote on his application, father of eight children. So my dad took the state to court and the case actually established a precedent. It went up to the Court of Appeals in uh, um, in, in, in New York, which is the highest court. And it, it's, it's still an existing precedent that says if a government contract has a requirement for qualifications, that qualifications must actually mean something. Right. And, you, and, and simply writing – father of eight children as a reason to be qualified to run a tourist operation in the falls where my father had years you know, prior. He was the hotel operator. He was the museum operator, you know, that there has to be actual meaning to the, to the term qualifications. And this guy did not have any. Um, therefore my father got, got it back. Oh, cool. And I think being that young and watching that court process and seeing justice prevail i think that that may have really influenced me and uh you know the the ironic part was when they when it come up for for a concession bid in the future in like three four years that guy was then able to put on the application i operated the cave of the winds for one year so he was forever (laughs) a nemesis and you know of my of my dad always kind of you know being being in there and uh but that experience uh was my first real observation of of the law and how it worked and how justice could prevail and and I and I, I looking back on it I think that really had a big influence. Also, they said I, I was a little kid with a loud mouth, so they said, you know, I, and, I, and I was kind of <laughs> smart, so they said, you know what, you should be an attorney, you should be a lawyer. <laughs> Do you remember your first case that you won? Oh, my first case that I won! Wow. Um, yeah, I remember my first case that I lost. <laughs> <laughs> oh I, man. I I uh I started work with a big national law firm mm-hmm. and I was out here in, in Newport Beach, California, and they sent all of the the brand new attorneys to Georgia to train in their home office for three months. And there's not really much you can do. You're not admitted in Georgia. You're just trying to get to know all the different attorneys and and, and the operations. Uh but somehow they got me admitted to to essentially appear in what was just like um, 
slightly above small claims, one of these one-day little trials, Mm -hmm. on behalf of one of the partner's maids who had a separate tailoring business or something like this, and... I, I don't, she was either being sued by a woman who wasn't happy with the alterations or she was suing to get paid. And it's in really rural Georgia. And I show up and uh-huh. every, and they just, they, I mean, the judge did everything but call me Hollywood. Was like, right. And, right. you know, I, I was, you know, so I'm not even a Georgia attorney. And it's this, this poor black woman up against this, this well-heeled Southern woman. And, and they, she's got this. Jew attorney from Cal- Southern California right. from, uh, and the cards were just stacked, stacked against, against me. Yeah. And I, and I, and I had about 15 minutes to learn the case and, uh, and, and whichever way it went, like I said, I don't remember whether we were the plaintiff or the defendant, but the, it went against us. And that was my first time ever in, in a trial. Um, and it was it was quite memorable, and oh, and I, I really felt it, I never felt more a fish out of water than that rural Southern Georgia courtroom. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine the the flight back to L.A. was a little rough. <laughs> <laughs> well, I still wound up being in Atlanta for another three months, and, and oh, they, they didn't care. The guy, the guy was like, you know, I think all you know he. He just, you know, he did it. He didn't care either way. He just wanted to know that his maid was taken care of. You know, he's like, hey, what do you, what do you want from me? I gave you a lawyer. You know? Right. <laughs> you know, and you notice he didn't make the appearance for it. Right. <laughs> that's that's funny. So now I, if 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 I have my facts correct, um, you were working down in Orange County uh, for a law firm and you got a hold of some Tony Robbins tapes and you and somebody warns you don't watch them you might end up quitting your job and doing something crazy and you ultimately moved up to the west side or west moved up to Beverly Hills and started an entertainment firm yeah i i was i was one of the uh one of the most successful uh, associates there i mean i was i was like in the top 10 of like billing uh, attorneys and which was even more remarkable because i was so young that my my rate was less than right. than other people oh wow and I would, I would be doing transactional stuff all day long, and then once the phone would stop ringing and people would be calling me, I would turn to litigation and I would work well into the night. And a lot of times I would I would call my mom as I'd about four about I'd be le- I'd be getting home at like three thirty four in the morning and I'd call her on the East Coast knowing she'd wake up. And say, Why are you up so early? Oh, I'm just getting home. I just wanted to say good. I just wanted to freak her out. Wow. And. And I, you know, and I, uh, despite that, I, I, I had fun with the place. It was, like, it was, it was, it was enjoyable. It was management side, labor and employment law, but I came out here to be an entertainment lawyer. Mm-hmm. And yeah, one night I, I saw the Tony Robbins tapes advertised. I got it. And a friend said exactly that said, you shouldn't have done that. Everyone I know that's ever gotten those tapes has quit their job in six months. And sure enough, in six months, I quit this very well-paid paying job that I could have stayed and been a, a partner in Newport beach and been happy. And I followed the dream of doing entertainment law and set up my own little shingle. And what would you say was the biggest factor that gave you the courage to like make the leap? Because a lot of people would go with the secure and safe and, you know, I don't need to do any more. And like you risked everything. Yeah. Uh, the biggest factor, ignorance. Ignorance is bliss. <laughs> okay. uh, if If anyone had... If I really had known every possible hurdle and all of the, uh, you know, the, the hurdles and, and uh, issues that are involved in, in, in making it and do it, 
I don't know if I would have taken the plunge, but we was I was you know, like twenty seven, cool. and you know just like hell, I, I can yeah I can be an I, I don't know anyone in Hollywood, <laughs> but I can be an entertainment attorney. You know, it's like I, I've taken a few classes. Right. Um, I had a good friend from my hometown who uh, was a production accountant who wanted to be on major motion pictures, and he was just setting up an independent production company. And uh, I said, you teach me everything about making movies and I'll do all your legal work for free. And we split, shared a, a really small shitty office on Beverly drive. <laughs> um, I remember our, our first rent was, was, was two fifty. Wow. And the people that two fifty square foot. No, 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 no. $250. Wow. <laughs> so, so, so small you had to go outside to change your mind. Yeah. Um, yep. And then, uh, uh, then I had another, uh, college fraternity brother who worked at new line and he gave me my first set of entertainment forms and showed me a deal from, these are the forms that new line sends out. And this is what, a a, a top notch entertainment attorney, how they co- make the comments and how it goes back and forth. So I saw like four uh-huh. different drafts and the different versions of what new line would give, what they wouldn't give. And, uh, those were my original templates. And, wow. uh, and and I, I um, took every course I could find, and I, I was involved in like a three day, you know, some film film production program that like independ- uh, film independent put on. And at the end of the seminar, a guy came up to me and said, uh, "You're an entertainment attorney, aren't you?" I was like, "Well, yes, I am." <laughs> so I could tell by the questions you were asking. I have a, I have a five hundred thousand dollar film that goes into production. You know, uh, I'll give you ten thousand dollars to be production counsel on it. And, you know, 5,000 up front, 5,000 at the end. And that was the first film I was on. And uh, that was the last time I ever agreed to money up front and money at the end. <laughs> uh, I, I learned real quick that you, you get the money all up front from independent producers because there's no money at the uh, end but when, when the, the post-production wraps. Wow. I was going to ask you, did you ever see the other 5,000? So it sounds and, and, like that was a no. <laughs> and, and for years I'd run into that guy and I would give him a hard, when, when are you going to pay me that? Other, where's that other five grand you owe me? You know, like, and I, would oh, just, I, I really was relentless with him. That's, uh, that's rough, but deservingly so. And if I if I would see him today, I would say I would still I would still yeah. ask him for that. Um, so you like my assumption is that when you're working with entertainment clients and probably a lot of people that are new to the biz and they're trying to get contracts signed, they probably don't have a whole lot of uh, uh, knowledge about all this stuff. So I'm imagining that you're probably part, part therapist, uh, part uh, financial guru, as well as legal counsel. I mean, what's that yeah. like when you meeting these new new entertainment people, and and how do you how do you guide them? You know, it's I it, it, it's it's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, probably about eighty percent of the of the of the clientele, you know never took a business class in their life. You know, they went to school, they went to film school, creative arts, their, 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 their mind is whatever it is, the right, right side of the brain. Right or the, you know, they're all about creativity and, uh, and they really just, you know, they're, they're just complete novices. I mean, they, um, I, I, I try to get my clients educated to the point where you don't need to know the answers. You just need to be smart enough to know the questions and then you can rely on experts to get those answers. And a lot of guys, when they come in and women, uh, when they come into the office, 
they don't even know the questions to ask. Right. And uh, it's it's fun. I, I enjoy being a teacher, you know, and I uh, I enjoy that process provided, you know, they're they're receptive to it. You know, so, sometimes you'll you'll I, I remember when we first started out. We don't do a lot of music work, but we did, we were representing this band and they were going to enter like the, one of the typical band deals that you always hear about on VH1 behind the music, you know, they were All just, right. they just ripped off on everything. And we tore this music contract to shreds and said, it's got to be this, 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 this. And the, the clients themselves were so, I'm going to say, you know, illiterate. Right. And that they actually th- they they we were we were at a dinner and that where the other guy was at the table too and he said and and our own client said you know i like every word that comes out of this guy's mouth and i don't like a damn thing you say he goes he goes and i and i said well we're on commission we're on your side of the fence we only get paid if you get paid and He's on the opposite side of the table. So why do you think that is? You know, it's like, and they, but you know, that, that was a client. They, uh, um, you know, they'll, they'll just, just sign anything. If you promise, right. promise I'm going to be a star, you know, yeah. they, they, I, I like him saying, I'm going to be a star. I don't like you saying I'm going to be, you know, I'm, I'm going to be penniless and destitute if I sign this. And, you know, like, right. You know, I, I want to hear what he has to say. What's the, I mean, you know, it's, it's funny as you were talking about that, I was thinking I've sat in a lot of negotiations with attorneys and sometimes people say, you know, the attorneys are the deal killers, right? Because they're always looking at all the facts and they're always trying to like actually look at details, right? And it ruins everything. Um, but, but really in a way, you're really actually trying to protect the clients because you end up seeing, I would imagine, a lot of cases that go south not like Georgia South, but uh, <laughs> South. And like you're in this job of trying to do the best thing for them, even when it doesn't necessarily feel like that for them. Yeah, particularly writers and, and, and comedians are, are kind of falling that with a, but, but there, there's a, there's a prototype writer that um, is it has a has a little paranoia about them. They're just they're so thrilled that they get an offer. They're yeah. you know they they say whatever you do, don't mess this up. Right. You right. know, just please. I need. It. And uh, and we view ourselves as as deal makers, not deal breakers. And right. I, I've gone up against lawyers that for like, why are you doing this? Why are you asking? Why are you really going to, you know, break this deal? That so really happens. You know, right. and I, and I'll I'll tell clients when they when they have that. That paranoia, I say, look, you know, there's a deal has never, you know, if the deal is met, you know, if, if I push too hard and I don't think I am, but you think I am, is it if that happens and they say, screw this, we're going away. The minute that happens, you can go in there and say, you know, I don't know what, I, I never even met this Pierce. I don't know what he said. I didn't know he was doing this. Throw me under the bus, call me the biggest SOB and say, where's that piece of paper I'm going to sign? If that's what you want, I go, and I promise you, you know, they'll, they'll have that paper ready and you can sign. I said, but it's never going to come to that. And right. it never has come to that. Yeah. I said, but if that puts you at ease and generally when you're working with other people on the other side, there's a common parlance that, that conversation that, that we know. That every deal term, we know this is the custom and practice. If you're a screenwriter, you should be getting two to three percent of the 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 overall budget 
for the purchase price with and maybe we put a floor minimum in and if we ask for a floor minimum then it's fair for them to put a maximum ceiling on you know there's there's every every term there's no such thing as boilerplate people right. always say oh well, this is boilerplate every contract clause you know it deals with something but every one of those clauses can be written three ways pro producer middle of the road or pro artist and every attorney that's experienced they know what the language is for pro producer, middle of the road, and pro artist. And depending on who your client is and how much power is, you try to get the middle of the road. Right. And um, and, and and unfortunately, like I said, there's 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 I see repeatedly producers that prey on the vulnerability of entertainers, of writers, of comedians. You know, you a this had to be signed yesterday. Right. There's no time to talk to an attorney. This is boilerplate. And if this doesn't happen now, then we're going elsewhere. And, you know, that it, it, it's these are these are hard sell pressure techniques right. that that people that too many people give into. But it's, it's always fake. And if somebody if they if a deal falls apart, if there's some other reason. Their financing fell apart and they're just trying to save face or something like that. What would you say is the main obstacle for maybe some of your clients or when, you know, is it the fear that they're never going to have another chance at at fame or that it's like, is there a block around, oh my gosh, do I really deserve to have this contract? I mean, like I, I, you know. It, it's it's rough being a, a performer or, or or a writer. You know, it's like you you get doors slammed in your face more often than they're opened. Right, and it's so rare to find someone that says, "Yes, I like you. I like your project. I want to make it." That when you hear that, you know, your your automated is like, "Don't screw this up." Yes, I need this. I want this, and and they underestimate their their own worth. Right, and. You know, right now I I have a client that uh, had a show that's on a on a platform, a, big, a well established you know type uh, you know cable outlet or other mm-hmm. other type thing, um, well publicized. You know, eight episodes shot. I had a whole season, and uh, and and they had we were we were dumbfounded what they got paid for that first season. It was three guys. Got like eighty five hundred dollars split between them, for three of them, for for the entire series, series that they created, right, and and fully developed, and when and uh, it's because they had you know they couldn't afford an attorney, right, to to look over the contract, right, and I said guys, that eighty five hundred is what each one of you individually should have been paid per episode, right, and that still would have been on the low end of a, of an entry level you know person that's paying their dues, you know, with their, their first, their first show. And in something like that, pretty much that ship has sailed. I mean, once they've signed a contract like that, for the most part, it's, uh, well, that's where uh, the lawyers come and, and, you know, bring their, their, their bag of magic and try, we try and figure out how can we, we fix this. Or at least and if season two comes, that then maybe season, we can right, You remedy. can't fix season one. The, uh, the line that I give, Repeatedly, and I even gave it today to somebody uh, on, on yet another issue that I, we were talking on um, about a contract that that was bad. Is I said, you know, if, if only, you know, if if uh, 
I could get my time machine, time machine to be working, this would all be solved. We could just go back to an hour before you signed the contract and we could get in there and we could fix all this stuff. But God darn it, I've been working on this time machine for you know, 20 years and, and I still can't get it to work. But the day I do, boy, all your problems are going to be solved. They're going to be solved. Yeah. And But you know, there, there's no do-overs in entertainment business with contracts. And what do you – so when a client signs a contract and they're going to get this nice newfound money and this new success, is there any piece of advice that you give people, um, you know, save your money or – like is there anything that you just – like – Yeah, you, you really – yeah, and again, it goes back to the – the values instilled by my father, you know, like, yeah, I say, save your money. You know, I, I'll see, you know, don't, don't go buy those lavish gifts, you know, let, right. wait, you know, let's, let's wait. A lot of people, they want, even in fact, uh, a lot of my clients, they, they automatically want to set up a loan out corporation. Right. Why? Because all their friends have loan out corporations. Right. You know, yes, there are tax savings, but you know, those tax savings really don't kick in until you're making a hundred thousand dollars or more, and it's consistent year after year. So let's just get paid as an employee. Let them take out your taxes. And if there's a season two and it's a renewal and you're still – you're making more money, maybe then we'll look at a loan out. But I see so many people, they set up the loan out and then two, three years later, they're dissolving it. Or or worse, they just abandon it and uh, it, it goes into a forfeiture. Um, people – need to need to understand that, you know, because it can go that other way. First, they were so scared that they weren't going to get the job mm-hmm. and then suddenly they get the job. And now let's say it's, it, and it's paying nicely. They're thinking, well, I'm, I'm here. This is just going to always continue. The series could be canceled. Maybe it's not picked up for another season. You know, 101 other things could happen. They have nothing to do with you or your talents. Right. Um, so let's, put a little something away for a rainy day. What do you actually, you know, talk to them about a budget, right? You know, if maybe, all right, you're not ready for a business manager yet, but we can play that role. Like, what do you really need? What's your rent? How much you need for food? What do you need for clothes? You know, haircuts, let's put it on. And then let's throw in whatever that number is. Let's splurge. Let's put in another 1500 bucks just for to screw around every month with whatever you want to do. And that's the money you can spend – you can blow on, uh, you know, taking your friends out to dinner or drinks or something like that. You know, you've got all that, but let's put the, this much away and right. let's just have it because it's one of the most unstable, you know, you know, uh, you know career paths you can have. There's just no job security in entertainment. Yeah, even, even for the best of the best. Um, what is your favorite part of your day, like in terms of going to work and – Interacting with the clients, interacting with your staff, like what's 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 the highlight of your day? You, you remember that that commercial for uh, I think it was Fiddle Faddle or Doodads or something was like it's a you know it was, it was it's the, you got the the little shredded wheat and the pretzel and the cheese right. crisp and the, and the guy used to say put my hand in I get you know pretzel uh, you know wheat thin uh, this I get. he goes put my hand in again whole new ball game right. you know. That's what I love about it. But I, I, I go in, I might have something planned on what I know is going to happen and seven other things are going to pop up and they're, they're – it's just, it's just so entertaining, um, so absolutely fascinating, so fast-paced. Um, I often say that any average day in my office – 
if I were practicing in Buffalo or Niagara Falls and, and what happened that day were to happen, that would be the highlight of my career. And I would be talking about the day that I was dealing with, you know, these celebrities and this project and then some other crazy thing that happened. I'd be talking that that would be the, the story I told for the rest of my life. And I'll, I'll forget by the time I get home now what, what actually transpired. Right. Um, so it, I, I, I love, I love the diversity of the job that uh, uh, having my hands in so many different things. You, you identified me as a transactional attorney. I'm one of the few people that uh, also litigates and I, and I bill myself as a transactional attorney who litigates, which so, you know, which is, you know, if you screw us on the deal, you know, and I write a demand letter and says, hey, you're in breach. I can just as easily attach a, a complaint and say, look, I already fi- drafted the complaint. Right. Let's settle now or we can file it and you go you get your attorney. So it has a little bit more bite right. when we say, hey, fix this breach. And again, spending a little bit of time in courtroom and a lot of time in transactional and seeing you know where things go wrong and then applying it in the transition. It, it's such a diverse, rich uh, job with – Mm-hmm. With such interesting people and such interesting projects, I, I love every day. It's a different, you know. I never know what to expect in our office. And what would you say is um, the key to your current success? Like, what is it that keeps you going? What's your personal mantra? Um, if it still ties back to you know the family name, and is yeah. there something though a flavor that you've added to it that this is this is the way I live my life? Yeah. I, I think the. Uh, the, the, the success comes from remembering I'm a Pierce and, uh, I, I, I know that there are other attorneys that, um, you know, really go in it as it's a blood sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't take that approach and I think I'm every bit as successful. Um, when somebody puts an offer out. I come back. I don't just say, well, you said $100, so I'm going to say 300 and we're going to meet it too. Right. I do the research and I say, look, my guy's past quote is 300 you, I know that your last three deals with three other people were 300 and this is going on and that is going Therefore, this is why it's 300 Well, can we agree at 200 Why would I agree to I, – I just gave you – all the reasons why 300 is the real number. You know, I didn't say 500 to just haggle. Right. There's, there, there's real meaning between, behind why I'm saying this. And I, on every one of those clauses, you know, I, I just articulate the actual reason behind it. And, and then you stick to your guns with that. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I think that goes so much further than, than just, you know, being an, a jerk and, and, and just saying, well, because I said so. And, and, uh, and, and when I need to be a pit bull, I mean, people know I, I can be a pit bull and, and bite, but I, I do it with respect. And I, uh, I think there's, you know, like I said, I, I, and my word is my bond and nothing makes me happier to hear when other people say, Oh, I, you know, you have a good name around town. You know, I, I, I research you, you know, uh, I remember uh, an attorney at UTA, gave me some, some compliment once we were at lunch and I said, yeah, Pierce law group is one of the best kept secret in, in town. He goes, what, what are you talking? He goes, what are you talking about? Best kept secret? I go, you know, we, we, you know, there, there's flashier law firms. We just kind of do our stuff and hang out of the rate. He goes, are you nuts? 
He says, everybody knows your firm. Everyone knows your name. He goes, I go, what do they know? He goes, they know that there's no politics with you or your firm, that you're, you're, you're really smart, good lawyers, and that, you know, if you say something, you mean it. And I don't think anything would make my, my father more proud. Yeah, that's a nice, that's a nice compliment and a nice legacy. Um, I have one more question before we, uh, before they kick us out of the studio here at the world famous comedy store. Um, what advice would you give to entertainers that are just starting out that are about uh, on the verge of their big break and um, like it's all about to happen? What, what, what would you say to those folks Bes- um, besides maybe call Pierce Law Group? Um, <laughs> you're, 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 you know, be be responsible for your, your, your own career. I, I love the quote um, Arnold Palmer said, golf is a game of luck. The more I practice, the luckier I get. And I think career entertainment careers is, it's a game of luck, but the more, you know, if you're out there every day, you know, if you're, you know, a writer writes always, you know, if you're a writer, right. If you're a comedian every day, be writing jokes, be at the clubs, make friends, don't be obnoxious, you know, be nice to everyone. You know, the old cliche, the, the, the guy who answers the phone at the agency is going to, you know, be on the way up and he's going to be the biggest guy in town. So you better be, be nice to him and, and, and give him a courtesy. I'll tell you that I had, this reminds me of just a, a story I had. One, one of my uh, um, first really big producer clients was John Morrissey, uh, producer of American History X. And mm-hmm. he went on to do like, he did Booty Call and uh, What's the Worst That Can Happen with Martin Lawrence. And, uh, and, and he came to me uh, one day and, um, and, 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 and we, we met and we had a business. And I said, uh, John, um, how, how, did, how did you hear about us? And he said, he said, right, he goes, you're, I don't know, he, he was having a conversation with, Oh, you know what? It was it was the guy that John was doing business with mm-hmm. needed a lawyer, and he asked his mailman. He said, "Hey, you you deliver mail in Beverly Hills. Do you know what a good entertainment lawyer?" And the mailman sent him to me, and I represented that guy who did a deal with John Morrissey. And John Morrissey was so impressed with what happened that he jumped ship from his attorney and and started being my client. And I asked the original – so then I went to the, the mailman and I said, uh, I said, Joe, you del- in this three-block radius, there must be uh, you know 400 entertainment attorneys. I said, why did you give my name? And he said, Dave, you're the only guy whose name I knew and knew what you did. It's because when he co- – I'd, I'd offer him a cup of coffee. When he did deliver, he'd go, hey, Joe, you want a cup of coffee? You want a glass of water? I just was nice to the mailman. And Bob, I got to tell you, I was, there was no ulterior motive there. I wasn't thinking, oh, gee, maybe I'll be nice to the mailman and I'll get an Academy Award winning <laughs> producer out of it. You yeah. Know? But just by simply being nice to the mailman, that through this serendipitous route, mm-hmm. I, I, I wound up having an Academy Award winning producer who to this day is my client. Yeah, that's amazing. That's and, 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 yeah, and, and performers need to know that. Be nice to everybody and, and your friends are going to help you get jobs more than your agents are. Yeah. And I think that's a good mantra for everybody. Just be nice. <laughs> Just be nice with all that goes on in the world. Oh, man. Well, listen, we are, we've come to the end of the road. Um, it's been great having you. Where can people find you? 
I'll be appearing at the L.A. Superior Court. No. <laughs> uh, you can find me at uh, www.piercellp.com. That's LLP as in partner. Uh, www.piercelawgroupllp.com will get you to the exact same place, but we, we shortened up the domain. Um, you can always Google it. You can always Google it. And uh, – and uh, if, if you're lucky, you'll you'll see me in the hallways of the comedy store. Uh, there's no better place to uh, to hang out or be, uh, particularly on a Tuesday night. That's when uh, all the all the stars that are uh, taking time off before their uh, their road gig on on Thursday come to practice their stuff. There you go. You heard it live. Well, don't. I appreciate having you here. Don't forget to share the laughs. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Search for Money You Should Ask, all one word. And you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. For more stories, podcasts, episodes, financial tools, and upcoming seminars, be sure to check out themoneynerve.com. It's been great having you here, David. And until next time. Thank you, Bob. Thank you.